0: James chapter 2 is where we'll be at today, verses 14 uh, through 26 is what we're going to be looking at. Now, James lays out what it looks like to live as a a Christian all throughout his letter. Last week, um, we talked about what a Christian doesn't do. James says a Christian doesn't show favoritism, right? Uh, A a really timely and fitting message for for what's going on right now uh, in our country. And so a Christian doesn't show favoritism. Today, we're going to look at what a Christian does, something that a Christian does. And James says that a Christian does live out his or her faith in Christ. In chapter one, he framed it up as as hearing and doing. You can't just hear the word of God. You also must do the word of God. They go together. You can't separate them. Today, he's going to frame it up in, in the terms of faith And works and so faith is hearing and works is doing it's the same thing they go together you can't separate them okay so um, his 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 argument is is super clear here faith without works is dead this is we've heard it if you're a believer you've heard this phrase James says it multiple times at least a half a dozen times in, in in half a dozen ways in these 13 verses here So um, that is really the the main idea of the passage here today. But as we go through it together, we need to understand more than just what does this mean? We need to understand how this applies to our lives, right? And so for us, um, our main main idea, our main thought for our time together this morning is that faith without works is dead. So godly works must grow out of our God-given faith faith without works is dead so godly works must grow out of our god-given faith in other words if if belief doesn't produce obedience it's not true belief it's not true belief and again james says this uh practically every other verse in here faith without wor- uh, works is dead this passage can seem confusing and, and contradictory to Paul on the relationship between faith and works. Um, And and we're going to address that today. Hopefully by the end of of our our time together, we're going to see that Paul and James actually agree on the relationship between faith and works. and, And hopefully then we will agree with them by the end of this. Faith and works must be distinguished, but they must never be separated. He says, be hearers and doers. He says, faith without works is dead, okay? We need to distinguish what they are and how they work together. But as believers, we can never separate the two. So here's the layout of the passage. Verses 14 through 17, James makes his main argument through a a series of rhetorical questions, and then he illustrates it with uh, an example. And then he moves on to verses 18 through 20, and he, he poses this hypothetical argument from the opposing side and then gives his rebuttal to that. And then he finishes in verse 21 through 26 by uh, reinforcing his his point by appealing to the examples of Abraham and and Rahab. And so I wanna read this passage, I wanna pray for our time together, and then we will uh, dig in. So, um, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you don't have that version, that's okay. You can follow along. Verse 14, chapter 2, of James's letter. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, "Go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed," but you don't, but you don't give them what the body needs, what what good is it? In the same way. If it doesn't have works, uh, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one. That's great. Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Senseless person. Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works and by works faith was made complete and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers? sending them out by a different route for just as the body without the spirit is dead so also faith without works is dead would you pray with me lord we're grateful for your word that is uh enduring that is unchanging that um helps us know the god who knows us and helps us to know ourselves and how we've been uh, created for your glory and recreated in Christ's uh, image uh, and and uh, become co-heirs with him in your kingdom as followers. And this is through faith. And faith itself uh, produces good works in us as a result of everything that you've done for us and, and in us. And so, Lord, this morning, would you give us um, by the spirit who dwells in us and who leads us into all truth and who counsels our hearts and who who gives us clarity into the mind of christ would you help us this morning to humbly receive the implanted word as it's read as as we hear it would you help us um, uh, to to understand it and and have wisdom where we lack wisdom lord you, you in james one it tells us to To ask you for it and so we ask you for it this morning as we as we read this passage and as we hear it lord would your spirit help us understand it and then would your spirit uh, and your church lord spur us on toward love and good deeds that is fruit of the righteousness that we've been given in christ it is a result of a heart that's changed and that that in itself brings you more glory We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We could summarize these first few verses by saying that a a workless faith is a worthless faith. A workless faith is is a worthless faith. Look at what James says in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? Now, If you remember from last week, we talked about, about 13 times in the book of James, he addresses them as my brothers and sisters, my dear brothers, my my dear sisters. And every time he says that, he's setting them up for, hey, pay attention, this is important. He's about to make and emphasize a point. What's his point here? It does no good for someone to claim to have faith, but then do nothing does no good for someone to claim to have faith, but then do nothing. In in verse 14 and in verse 16, which we'll read in a second, both both of those questions frame this up with, what good is it? What good is it? If you claim to know God, if you claim to have faith, but you don't do anything, you don't show that in some way, what good is it? A workless faith is a worthless faith. James asks, "Can, can such faith save him. Can such faith save someone? In other words, is a faith without works a saving faith? Now, at first glance, it may seem like James is, is saying that, that works are required for salvation, but he, he's not saying that here. And we're going we're gonna to develop that. We're going to see why in the verses that are coming up. Here, he's using works to help his readers understand the difference between a faith that's alive and a faith that, that is dead a faith that's not actually faith. And he argues that a faith that's dead is really no faith at all. He illustrates this with a hypothetical situation that his readers would be familiar with in verses 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? what good is it? What good is it to see a brother or sister in need of basic life necessities and and then do nothing about it? How will kind words and well wishes feed someone or clothe them? Jesus scolded the Pharisees for this. If you remember way back when we were doing the book of Mark, like six years ago, um, Jesus scolded the Pharisees for this. We remember this. Um, because they were using their man-made traditions as a way, as a cop-out to keep from um, uh, providing for their, for their uh, parents. Whatever I have is Corbin. Remember that? It's dedicated to the temple. Sorry, you can't have it. Jesus quoted Isaiah and he said, this people honors me with their lips. They say, go, be well, stay, go in peace, stay warm, be well fed, right? They give lip service, but their hearts are far from me. They don't have true worship. Translation, they don't have real faith. The Apostle John in, in 1 John 3, 16 through 18 says, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this Uh, this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him. How does God's love reside in him? Little children, James would say, my dear brothers and sisters, let us not love in word or speech. Let's not just give lip service. Let's not just give well wishes, but in action and in truth. Don't be just hearers of the word, be doers of the word. Faith without works is dead. James agrees with this. Look at verse 17. In the same way, if it doesn't ha- faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. In the same way words without action are empty and worthless, so too, faith without works is empty and worthless. It's dead. A workless faith is a work, is a worthless faith. Now we need to make an important clarification here. James says faith is dead when it doesn't have works. What he's not saying, and this is super important, is that faith needs works in order to stay alive. What he's saying is that a lack of works reveals a faith that was never alive to begin with. This faith is not kept alive by our works. This faith lives on its own because it's given to us by the living God. The works show that it's alive or the lack of works show that it was never alive to begin with. This is the distinction that James is making. A workless faith is a worthless faith because it's a dead faith. Can a faith that lacks works save a person? Verse 14, No, because it's a dead faith from the beginning. And a dead faith leaves a a person dead in his trespasses and sins. A spiritually dead faith cannot save a spiritually dead person. Real faith, living faith, can never be by itself. But just in case someone thinks that it's possible, James addresses that argument in the next few verses and shows that faith and works cannot be separated look at verses 18 through 20 but someone will say you have faith and i have works show me your faith without works and i will show you faith by my works you believe that god is one good even the demons believe and they shudder senseless person are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless James offers the challenge here to this hypothetical person that thinks that that faith and works can be separated from each other. He says, show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Here's the flow of logic, okay? In James' mind, faith must be demonstrated. He says, show me. How is faith demonstrated? By faithful works. So here's James's argument. If you have no works to demonstrate your faith, what else is there to show you that, or me, that your faith exists, right? You need more than just mental assent for it to be true faith. You can understand the truth about Jesus. You can even agree that it's true, but if that knowledge and that acknowledgement, the, the acknowledgement uh, doesn't result in total trust and dependence upon jesus then here's what james says it's not faith it's it's understanding it's agreement but it's not faith because faith has to go all the way to trust and james uses demons to make his point here he says the demons understand they know what's true about jesus right we saw that in mark every time jesus came to a demon possessed person what does the demon cry out you're the son of god I know who you are, right? But what did they do? They trembled. They didn't trust. They understand and they acknowledge this orthodox truth of the faith, of who Jesus is, that God is one, Father, Son, Spirit. But they shudder in terror because they don't trust the God who is one. They have truth, but they don't have faith. There's a difference. James calls the person senseless, your your translation might might say fool, who thinks that faith and and works can be separated. It's sort of a play on words here. Senseless in its its context here means means empty, just like faith without works. Like, hey, if you think you can separate faith and works, you're empty of, of wisdom and understanding. You're missing the point It's a complete lack of understanding and insight like the double-minded man in chapter one who lacks wisdom, right? James asks if the senseless person is willing to learn that faith without works is useless. He's not writing that person off. He's saying, look, what else did he say in chapter one? Humbly receive the implanted word. Give yourself over. Hear the word of God, this truth. Take it to heart and then be doers of it. Show your faith. He says, humbly receive the implanted word in chapter one. And what does he say there? Which is able to save your souls. It's not your faith that saves you. It's the Lord through the hearing of his word. But that produces that faith that produces the works in you as a result. James appeals to the word. He appeals to scripture in order to show that true saving faith or what true saving faith looks like. And he uses the examples of Abraham and Rahab to show that I'm going to use this, this, um, this, this phrase. Okay. And it's going to sound weird, but I think it it'll be kind of helpful for us to remember it and, and then we'll clarify what it means. But he shows that works justify the faith of a justified person. Okay. Works justify the faith of a justified person. Stay with me. Verse 21. Wasn't Abraham, our father justified by works in offering Isaac, his son on the altar. You see that faith was active together with his works and by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. He starts with Abraham, the father of the Jews, the father of the faith of of all who are in the faith, and he talks about Abraham being justified um, by offering Isaac as a sacrifice when God told him to do so. Now we need to understand how James uses the term "justified" here, because this is where it starts to get confusing. Uh, when we think about how Paul uses the term justified. Remember, the, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and Greek words not only have meanings, but they have uses. And so James uses the same word that Paul uses when they both talk about justification. The word has the same meaning, but they're both using it in, in slightly different nuanced ways. And we'll see this most clearly in a minute when we get to verse 24, but we need to keep this in mind. Otherwise, we're going to be tempted to hear these words that James is saying, and we're going to think that James and Paul are contradicting each other, but God's word does not contradict itself. And so when they're talking about justification in relation to saving faith, we need to understand which way they're coming at it, because they're coming at it from different perspectives, but they're talking about the same faith. So before we clarify what it what sounds like a contradiction in verse 24, let's look at how James is thinking about justification here. He says in verse 21 that Abraham was justified by his works and offering up Isaac, right? He's referring to Genesis chapter 22 verses nine and 10. God made a covenant with Abraham and promised that his descendants would be, would outnumber the stars in the sky and that all the nations would be blessed through his offspring. And then years later, God tested Abraham and told him to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Isaac, the one through whom God had promised to fulfill his covenant. Genesis 22, 9 and 10 says this. When they arrived at the place that God had told them about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. You know, as I just read that out loud, this is, this might, this is probably a tangent, but it just struck me. When they arrived at the place that God told them about, God just told them to go sacrifice your son. Essentially, go kill the promise. What does it say when God comes to Abraham first and gives him the promise, "Go to a place I will show you." Go to a place I will show you. God is is telling him where to go, and Abraham is going, even here, at the risk of killing the promise, he's still going to the place God is telling him to go. That's an act of faith there. I don't know. Take that for what it's worth. That just struck me. Coming back. God made a covenant with Abraham and promised him that his descendants would outnumber the stars, or sorry, when they arrived at the place that God told him about Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out, took the knife, and and took the knife to slaughter his son. Now, if you read on, if you know the story, you know that God stops Abraham before killing Isaac, and he provides a ram as a sacrifice in his place. And and immediately we get these images of Jesus as as the ultimate sacrifice in our place. That God spared Abraham's one and only son, but he gave his one and only son for us. He didn't spare his son, right? Back here in verse 22 in James, James says that Abraham's faith was active together with his works, and by his works, Abraham's faith was made complete. The idea here is this collaboration, this back and forth uh, working between um, Abraham's belief in God's promise and Abraham's work in offering Isaac on the altar, and his faith was brought to maturity or, or made complete by his works. In other words, James is saying that what Abraham did gave proof to what Abraham believed. What Abraham did gave proof to what Abraham believed. His obedience, his, aka his, his work, was the fruit of his faith. Now, that that Greek word that translates here as justified in verse 21, it means, means to be vindicated. It means to be shown to be right. James says that Abraham's works showed his faith to be true. Abraham's works vindicated Abraham of any accusation of having a false faith. His works were proof that his faith was real. That's why James says in verse 23 that the scripture was fulfilled. There he's quoting Genesis 15 verse six. Now chronologically, that's before what he just said, right? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That passage takes place years before Abraham hikes up the mountain with Isaac to offer him as a sacrifice. God declared Abraham to be righteous long before Abraham did any works. But James says that what Abraham did in Genesis 22 is evidence for us that Genesis 15 is true. That Abraham actually did have genuine faith. He's not saying that Abraham earned his righteousness by his works. He's saying that Abraham showed his righteousness by his works. God knows it's credible because God is the author of it. God is the source of it. He's the source of righteousness that he gives to his people who believe. Works done in faith help others see the credibility of our faith. Help us see the credibility of our faith. I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle and I, and I waver and I doubt. I need reminded that God is more faithful than I am, right? Listen, we just need to know this. God doesn't need proof. It's not for him. It's for us. We do. We need proof. And James says that the works that we do that are godly help give proof to the faith that God has given us. James agrees with Paul when Paul says in Romans 4, 2, and 3, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Paul quotes the same verse. So why then does James say this in verse 24? Look back in chapter 2 here. You see that a person is justified by works, and not by faith alone. Wait, hold on. Paul just said the opposite of that, right? In Romans 3.28, Paul says this, for we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. I don't know about you, but that sounds exactly the opposite to me. So which is it? Is a person justified by faith apart from works, or is a person justified By works and not by faith alone. Are you ready for the answer? Yes. Yes. Remember, James and Paul use the same word for justification, but they use it in different ways. Paul focuses, this is important, Paul focuses on the root of salvation while James focuses on the fruit of salvation. So if you put salvation right here, justification before God, made right, declared righteous in Christ. Paul's coming this way and says, you can't do any works to get here. And James is is coming from this way, looking back and saying, if you've been here, you will do works here. Huge, huge difference. Paul focuses on the root of salvation. James focuses on the fruit of salvation, but they both have the same salvation in mind. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2 8 through 10. Paul says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do now james agrees wholeheartedly with what paul just said there he's simply emphasizing the last part verse 10 james says uh, or um, that god has prepared good works that are are to be done by those he has redeemed for himself that's what james's letter is talking about here james says godly works give evidence of redemption in a person's life and paul would wholeheartedly agree with James. In Galatians chapter five, verse six, Paul writes, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. Works can't save you, but here's what he says. What matters is faith working through love. In his letter to Titus, Paul wrote in Titus chapter three, verses four through eight, but when the kindness of God our savior And his love for mankind appeared. He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to what? According to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. It's a work of God in our lives. He poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. And then Paul tells Titus this. This saying is trustworthy, Titus. This is orthodox. This is truth. This is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God, who have faith, might be careful to devote themselves to good works. Paul agrees with James. James agrees with Paul. Paul says these are good and profitable for everyone. The Reformers had a saying we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. We're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Paul and James would agree with that. In fact, they said it way long before the Reformers did. Salvation cannot be earned by works. If you hear nothing else today, take that to heart. It cannot be earned by works. Salvation is given to us as a gift by God. James says this in chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. Don't be deceived, my brothers. Don't be senseless. Don't be double-minded, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the heavenly, uh, from the Father of lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. Verse 18, by his own choice, he gave us. Birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. God saves us by his grace through faith in the finished work of his son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life of obedience on our behalf, who died a sacrificial death in our place to make atonement for our disobedience, our sin, our rebellion against God, and then who rose from the dead on the third day so that we could be reconciled to God and be declared righteous in Christ and live forever with him. It's Christ's work and it's finished. Listen to Paul's words in Romans 4, verses 20 through 25. He, referring to Abraham, did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. Faith, therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, it was credited to him, but uh, what now it was credited to him was not written for Abraham alone. I love this, Paul says, but also for us, it will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered up for our trust, our trespasses and he was raised Paul says for our justification salvation is by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone not by our works we don't earn it we receive it Christ is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham are you fully convinced this morning in the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf do you do you know and do you believe that your righteousness before God cannot be earned by you, but was earned for you and given to you by Jesus Christ. And there's no work that you can do to earn what has been freely given to you through faith. Are you persuaded that the righteousness you've been given compels you then in love to live out your faith through godly works of obedience? If Paul emphasizes the fact that we've been given Christ's righteousness. James emphasizes the fact that we live in Christ's righteousness. Paul focuses on how someone is justified. James focuses on what justification looks like in practice. Both would say we're not saved by works. Both would say we're not saved from works. Both would say we are saved for works. James finishes up his argument by mentioning Rahab. Look at verse 25. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? Now, Rahab wasn't a Jew. She, she was a Gentile prostitute who lived in the town of Jericho. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, Joshua sent, in chapter two of of the book of Joshua, sent spies into Jericho to scout it out, the land that the Lord was giving them. Go to the place I will show you, right? Um, And and the spies ended up at Rahab's house, and, and they warned her of the coming destruction of the city. And she believed what they said. She believed that God was going to destroy Jericho and give it to the Israelites, and so instead of Turning the spies over to the king of Jericho, she hid them and then snuck them out of the city. James says, in the same way that Abraham's faith produced obedience, Rahab's faith produced obedience as well. We can point to it. We can point to what they did. And the same is true for every believer. This is the work, this is the the argument that James is making, and he concludes in verse 26 by restating what he's already said through this whole thing. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. You know, Rahab contrasts with Abraham in every way, except for faith. Jew or Gentile, man or woman, patriarch or prostitute, both are, were truly saved and declared righteous by faith alone, but their faith showed itself through faithful works of obedience. The same is true for us if you are a follower of Christ. This is why James says, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Godly works do not produce righteousness. They are products of it. Godly works do not produce righteousness, but they are products of it, just as the body without the physical necessities of life is dead, verse 17, just as the body without the spirit is dead, verse 26, James says, faith also without works is dead. It's not real faith. It was never alive to begin with. So that's what James says. What do we do with it? Because we don't want to be merely hearers of the word, right? We want to be doers of the word. Here's one way to think about it. You can't claim to have a faith in Christ and have nothing to show for it. First John 2, 3 through 6 says, This is how we know that we know this is how we know that we know him. If we keep his commands, the one who says, I have come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him but whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him, meaning Jesus, should walk as he walked. Simply calling yourself a Christian doesn't automatically make you one. Making a decision for Jesus one time or praying a sinner's prayer, it's useless unless your life shows evidence of the change that took place when you did those things. Growing up in a Christian home, simply going to church, it's ultimately worthless if it's not accompanied by a lifestyle of obedience to God. Now, I want to be really, um, I want to emphasize something here because this is important for us as believers, because right now you might be going, well, shoot, I don't display this every single day of my life. Lifestyle is the key word here because any given snapshot of your life may reveal different things. I don't know if you're on social media or anything like that, but maybe you're tempted to, um, to post just, you know, like doctor up the background behind you and, and you know, only post the, the beautiful snapshots. And then once you hit post, like you turn around and you start screaming at your kids again and, um, you know, things are all disheveled and all of that stuff. You're, you're putting up a false front for others. And in a sense, denying your own reality. But here's the thing. No believer is perfectly obedient from the moment of salvation onward. Why? Because we still have remaining sin in us. James talked about this in chapter one, right? He says, we still have these evil desires that linger in our hearts. And there will be times when we are, as he says in chapter one, drawn away and enticed by our own evil desires and those evil desires give birth to to temptation and temptation when it's fully grown gives birth or, or to sin and sin when it's fully grown gives birth to death there are times when we will be dragged away and enticed by our own evil desires and we will sin against god even though we know he has saved us but that does not necessarily mean that we are liars and the truth is not in us. As followers of Christ, listen, just hear the word of the Lord for a second. We believe, we are convinced, we, we know to be true, we are dependent upon these things, that God's promise to finish what he started in us will come true, that he who started a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, Philippians 1, 6. We believe as followers of Christ that he will sanctify us completely and keep our whole spirit, our soul, our body sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? He who calls you is faithful, he will do it. 1 Thessalonians 5:23 and 24. Why? Because Jesus is the source and the perfecter of our faith. And so we fix our eyes on him. Hebrews 12:2 because Christ is who he says he is. And he does what he says he will do. We don't need to fear the security of our salvation in a moment of sin. Can we just take a deep breath? No, instead we can freely run to him. We can identify it as sin. We can call it what it is and be real about it. We don't have to doctor ourselves up and send God a a perfect Instagram picture of our life. He knows, what your heart looks like better than you do. We can freely run to him for forgiveness, which by the way is a godly work of repentance and it's evidence of a changed heart and we can keep going and we can keep growing in our obedience to him. And so, so that even though we may stumble at times, the overall trajectory of our lives will show that we are indeed running the race of a genuine faith. And we are chasing after the Lord. Forgetting what is behind. And running with perseverance. If you walk out of here thinking that I need to do more good works to show that I'm a true Christian, you've missed the point altogether. You need only to look at Christ himself the one who is the source and the perfecter of our faith and just linger there with him. Know these truths to be true. Know the one about whom these truths are speaking. And as you stand in wonder at his incomparable love for you, and you'll remember that he's rescued you from yourself. He's redeemed you, your life with his own. You'll marvel at these glorious riches of his inexhaustible grace And you'll be amazed at every spiritual blessing that you've received in Christ. You'll be humbled at the realization that God has given you his very own son and along with him all things. You'll be empowered by his spirit who now dwells within you and cannot be taken back. The spirit who leads you into the truth of his word and who unites you to his church. And guess what? The good works will come the good works will come. You will actively love your neighbor as yourself because you love God and you love what God loves. That is what a transformed heart does. That is what a transformed heart looks like. It is now the very heart of God in you. Pumping life into your life. Giving you continuous faith, even though you stumble, even though you fall. Holding you firmly in his grasp until the day of our Lord Jesus. I'm so grateful for that, aren't you? Titus 2.14, one of the foundational verses of the church. It's one of the reasons, it's not one of the reasons, it's the reason we were named Redeemer Community Church says this, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, from all disobedience, from all works of unrighteousness, and to cleanse for himself a people for what? His own possession, we're his, our lives are no longer our own, we've been bought with a price. A people for his own possession, eager, eager, ready, willing, Eager to do good works. A workless faith is is a worthless faith. Faith and works cannot be separated because faith without works is dead. Works justify the faith of a justified person, they give proof that a person's faith is living and active. Good works are the fruit when righteousness is the root. And that righteousness can only be given to us by Christ. We can never earn it from Him. Faith without works is dead, so godly works must grow out of our God-given faith. And so as we marvel at what we've been given and as we live in union with Christ who has given it to us, let's be eager then to do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. To do good works in loving obedience, in joyous freedom that we've been given. Why? Because we love the one who loves us and who's called us to do them. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for us. Lord, I pray that today we would go out this day and live actively the faith that you have implanted in our souls through the hearing of your word, the gospel of truth. That we would live in freedom because Christ has fulfilled the law on our behalf. And you have given us your spirit who loves you and loves your law. And the commands that you've given to us are not burdensome. That we're able to take upon uh, your yoke and walk with you, united to you, enduring in the power of God through Jesus Christ by your spirit according to your word and with your church until we are called gloriously home to see this savior who has saved us face to face. Lord, would you be honored? Would you help us to be encouraged today by the evidence of the faith that we have in Christ, that we've been given by a God who is good and perfect, who does not change, who will not take it back, but will lead us on into eternity. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.